Welcome to your Active Tech Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the CHIPSAC joint undertaking and legislative file. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief podcast. Today I'm joined by Eva Meidel, an MEP for the European People's Party political group in the European Parliament. Hello, Eva. Hi, Luca. Thanks for having me. And great to have you. Um, so this week, Eva, you have presented uh, your draft report on the CHIPS Act joint undertaking. What would you say are the main uh, improvements you brought to the file? Well, look, um... Many think of the CHIPS joint undertaking as some sort of a technical issue, uh, but it is not, in my opinion. Um, I think where and how we decide to invest funds, European money, uh, is in a way a, a signal we can send to European citizens. So it's an important political signal. And this is why I tried to put forward a set of clear political directions. And I would like to pinpoint a few of those points that uh, my report touches upon. First of all, um, that this fund should support the growth and start of SMEs. Second, I think it's important uh, that there is more guidance for SMEs on how to access public, but also private investment, but also including venture capital. Um, thirdly, I think we need to make sure that we push forward research, development, innovation, collaboration on an international level. Whether we do that through the European Semiconductor Board, whether we use existing structures like the TTC um, or other you know, union agreements and strategies we might have with third countries, um, this international co collaboration is key uh, to the success of the CHIPS Act and the CHIPS Joint uh, undertaking. Um, in my report, I also call for a greater consultation with industry uh, when priorities are being set, uh, when guidelines uh, in the area of semiconductor um, research and development are being prepared. Uh, and of course, I highlight that the ambitions of the CHIPS Act and the initiative uh, have to be, of course, supported with significant new financial uh, provisions. Two more points I would like to share that are important uh, for that report. Um, I do understand, speaking of funds, that we find ourselves in very challenging times for our economy. Most budgets are very stretched, so it's the European uh, budget. But if we want to say that our DNI is a political priority, we have to walk the talk. We need to treat it as such. Um, and it's a discussion not just for the CHIPS Act particularly, but for Europe more broadly. How are we going to support um, our DNI um, in Europe? And then my last point would be even 
on the funding that is available, we still need to have more clarity, um, especially when it comes to decommitments, when it comes to inflation and the uh, repurposing of those funds. I think we need to have a clear plan of how these funds are going to operate especially also in the context of the upcoming budgetary cycles uh, and as we are heading ahead and moving into the next uh, MFF. So in order for those clear political directions to be achieved, we also uh, need to, to have some clarity on the funds themselves. I would like to go back to the uh, budgetary discussions later on, um, but first uh, you are... Uh, let's say, wearing uh, different hats for what concerns the Chipsat. You are the um, uh, EPP shadow in ITRE. You are also the opinion um, rapporteur for ECON. Uh, what would you say, what is your view on the direction the file has taken so far, um, especially looking at uh, Dan Nika's uh, draft report? Well, as I have said already, I think I can see a lot of synergies uh, between my own position and that of the rapporteur, Mr. Nika. Um, I have also seen that there is quite some common ground among all political groups. Um, I would like to say that I am hopeful uh, that the parliament will come ahead um, in these discussions with a strong and united position, uh, because we all do understand the massive opportunity the CHIPS Act uh, means for Europe. It has, of course, the opportunity to not only increase our market share, but it has the opportunity to deliver on skills, on jobs, on growth, um, on securing those crucial supply chains. Um, and in a way, the CHIPS Act is another facet of how basically Europe can deliver a future-looking economy that is truly focused on technology, that is focused on innovation, on research and development, um, and so on and so forth. I like to refer to the Act as one of those few exceptionally strategic pieces of legislation, um, that we do not legislate on something we should have thought of, of doing some, some, some time ago, but we are trying to be um, a bit ahead of, of, of the times. Uh, but to, to give you my opinion on, on the CHIPS Act itself, there are three uh, main areas um, I think it should try to achieve. And the first one, of course, is to encourage growth, but also to encourage this inward investment here in Europe. And we have seen that this is slowly happening on the investment side, um, but hopefully we'll hear more on in, in, in that area. The second one is we have to put the right preventive measures, uh, have the right tools in place to prevent the crisis happening again. Um, and thirdly, thirdly uh, we have to reduce foreign dependencies, uh, while in the same time we increase international cooperation. And so this is why um, the areas which for me are crucial to be uh, worked on in the CHIPS Act, the first one is related to um, that international cooperation and dialogue and enhancing it. It is a, a key objective. Um, because the whole ecosystem is so incredibly 
complex um, that uh, just by talking to ourselves, we will not be able to have any sort of early detection of potential bottlenecks. Um, it would be important, uh, that's one of the many partners, to align um, our common strategic goals together. Um, this leads me to the point of supply chain monitoring. Um, it's, it's very important how we are going to monitor to prevent uh, the disease rather than to just act when we need to cure the disease. And this is why I think this supply chain monitoring has to go through the uh, semiconductor board um, alongside industry players. They have to be part of it and included. Only then the crisis mechanisms that are foreseen in the CHIPS Act could truly serve as a safety net. Um, um, and, and, and as a last resort. Um, I have sought basically to introduce a number of safeguards to increase the market confidence, but also to ensure investment in, 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 in Europe um, is not deterred in one way or another by pillar three. Um, and so this is why the legislation that we need to put in place has to on one hand enable and promote those uh, agile and flexible uh, investment uh, areas uh, while we cut red tape, um, while we provide support uh, to access private but also public investment um, for all investors, but especially for scale-ups uh, for SMEs um, as well. And of course, I have a number of other um, priorities that are uh, structured along um, intellectual property and the exchange of data um, and introduce whole new articles in, in that domain. Um, and, 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 and of course, lastly, you know, things concerning the definitions, such as first of a kind facility, we need to get those definitions uh, uh, right and in the right direction. Uh, but, uh, you know, to sum it up, investment that triggers growth, uh, prevent crisis and, uh, you know, be able to talk to our international partners. I would like to touch upon uh, one of the most uh, politically sensitive issues, which is um, geographical balance. Uh, we have seen from the uh, Parliament's rapporteur, Nika, that this was uh, somewhat at the centre of its uh, draft report. And also in the European Council, um, the discussions are very much going in that direction and they are focusing on spillover effects. Um, but as a matter of fact, we, we are a bit faced with a dilemma, which is basically only the largest member state can afford to finance or co-finance uh, these mega funds, this, uh, which requires billions of investments. So how, how can we ensure that uh, smaller member states can also reap the economic benefits of the CHIPS Act uh, and that is not left in the hands of France, Germany, and, and a few other large member states? Yeah, well, first of all, I think your question has two aspects. Um, and I'll start perhaps with the less obvious one. Um, and this is that this CHIPS Act has to work for all of the union. Um, 
when we look at pillar three and common purchasing, uh, what we try to do there with my um, amendments is that we make sure that this particular part addresses the common challenges of all the union and not just one or two member states, because this is clearly a very key part and a key pillar um, of, 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 of the report. The second um, point um, is related to the fact that we are one union um, and of course uh, voters in all member states would like to harness the positive effects of this growing tech economy. But I think for the politicians who thought that there will be a fab in every member state, um, well, I'm afraid to say, you know, that's not going to be the case. But that doesn't mean that member states shouldn't benefit from the CHIPS Act. After all, um, the CHIP uh, production is a very complex system, involves numerous stakeholders and a, 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 a very big uh, ecosystem that has to be catered. Uh, by various uh, actors and having different preparedness, whether it be in design, in packaging, in production, uh, and so on um, and so forth. So um, having said that, I'm very mindful of those uh, challenges. Uh, however, it's to a very big extent in the hands of um, national governments to also uh, proactively find ways of where their region or country would be best positioned to benefit um, from the uh, act. Um, when it comes to innovation and when it comes to technology, I think people are at the heart um, of uh, every process. Um, in my own country, Bulgaria, we do not have a fab or a foundry. Uh, but we have a very energized and growing innovation sector. Um, I would just like to bring one example forward. Um, we have an institute for artificial intelligence called Insight. Um, and uh, the professor is, is, is a world leading professor who heads it, uh, Professor Martin Betchev. Um, and has attracted the attention of global leaders to come and invest. Um, and um, I think there are so many other examples um, in different domains um, that I think uh, these sort of ideas could help us find ways of how to best uh, utilize uh, the, available, the available funding but also um, the possibilities uh, that the competence centers can uh, give to promote innovation um, and the chip sector in every corner uh, of Europe. But again, a big part of that would be in the hands of national governments and, and regions to kind of round up um, their strategic ideas and see where they're best positioned. So uh, I would like now to. Um focus on another issue, uh, which is at the core of the CHIPS Act, which is what type of chips shall we look at? Because uh, the, the initial idea was, well, there is a global shortage of semiconductors, so we need to ramp up our capacity. 
then the proposal actually focuses on next generation chips. Um, so it is to avoid future crises. Uh, but there is indeed a tension between countries that are end users um, and that look to uh, basically become more resilient for their industry, like automotive. Uh, and there are those that uh, look for um, strengthening uh, future uh, capacity in these arrays for, for cutting edge chips. So where do you think um, should, should they use strike a balance on this matter? Well, I think we need to have the flexibility to basically enable the market and the research and development community to kind of help us and steer us in the right direction, as well as the demand on the market. Um, I think it's perhaps not the right thing to do to, as politicians, to pick the tech winners. Um, I think what our job is, is to create the best possible regulatory environment to have that innovation grow, to have innovation flourish, to enable the possibility to design and develop the most advanced chips, uh, but also should it be necessary to be able to produce the chips that are needed um, today, and they could be of any size and of any type. Um, and so I think um, to me, it's clear uh, that we're going to need to cater to both our current and our future market uh, for the time being. But it would be fantastic if uh, Europe uh, can indeed uh, develop that uh, leadership um, in, the, in, in the next generation of chips. Um, I also think that we can't do that alone. Um, and I would much rather cooperate with our international friends and partners and develop them alongside um, them, develop them together. Um, for me, this is much more preferable um, than those next generation or quantum technologies uh, in particular, because you mentioned it, uh, be developed by our rivals. Um, this is why I put so much emphasis on international cooperation through this act and uh, enhancing international cooperation um, is, is, is part and, and one of the keys to the success of the CHIPS Act. Um, another point which if we want to succeed in developing um, those most innovative uh, CHIPS um, is uh, to attract uh, to nurture talent. Um, and of course, that goes hand in hand by securing this long-term investment, uh, by making sure we protect um, international property. Um, you know, these are all objectives that I've already mentioned, but they have, they're part of the success. Um, I think we could transform our economy and truly make it a more technology-oriented one. Uh, but this has to become a political priority for e the EU and for member states. Uh, I just wanted to touch upon something very quickly, because you, you mentioned international cooperation, but uh, we have seen in the past weeks that uh, the US, which is obviously our main uh, uh, partner and, and allied, uh, has imposed unilaterally uh, 
sanctions against China, restricting the export uh, intended to cripple China, the Chinese capacity in the semiconductor sector. So how, how can we um, you know, cooperate uh, with Washington if, uh, you know, even when we have uh, platforms to discuss these things um, multilaterally, uh, then the decision is taken uh, still uh, from one side only. I think the US uh, policy vis-a-vis -vis China is crystal clear. So there's no surprise to me um, in their uh, latest actions. Their biggest uh, rival uh, when it comes to um, who's going to be the one uh, dominating the tech space uh, in the future, their biggest rival is China. This is why I think Europe cannot be naive on China for too long. I want us to make sure that we see how we are going to deal with China on the issues of tech and economic investment, whether that is within the framework of the TTC, and whether it, this is also by bringing other international partners such as Japan, South Korea or Taiwan. Uh, but it cannot just be the West. It has to be the West and the rest for this strategy to be effective. However, this could only be done if Europe becomes serious of developing a clear strategy vis-a-vis -vis China. And of course, I'm speaking here particularly on the tech domain. We are not dealing with China directly within the European Chips Act, but I think we are putting down tools that can deploy to put tech democracies in a much stronger position. Um, we have spoken about international dialogue. I've spoke about uh, working and cooperating with like-minded partners. That could be done and incorporated through the semiconductor board. So we have a clear um, plan of how to do it. Um, and I have also outlined a number of other points related to protection of data, IP, um, and so on. Um, and this is why, to, to wrap it up, I would say um, we just need, as soon as possible, an updated, a nuanced and comprehensive China strategy here in Europe. And we need a united front, meaning all member states need to stand behind it. I think for the past years, we had hoped that bringing China into the global trading system, uh, deepening uh, those economic ties could make them a member of the rule-based order, so to say. Uh, but this is not uh, what we are seeing. And therefore, some sobriety uh, and urgency in shaping that new and updated uh, China strategy is absolutely of key importance for Europe. And if I may, uh, the other thing uh, Europe needs to get serious about is uh, funding for semiconductors. If we uh, look at the uh, investments from other economic powerhouses, um, South Korea alone is dwarfing um, the European investments in this area, and they are already starting from quite an advantage point. So how, how can Europe hope to compete uh, 
um, with South Korea, Taiwan, let alone China and the US, uh, with such scarce resources on the table? Yeah, I mean, thank you for this question. This is what me and I have already heard some of the other shadow rapporteurs and rapporteurs um, wonder. Um, and it goes back uh, to what I'm trying to achieve in my approach, both in the CHIPSAC, but also in the joint undertaking report. Uh, when we do not have big budget, it's very important to think strategically and pragmatically. If we do this right, um, we can have a very strong approach. Of course, uh, fresh money for R&D, uh, R &D, for uh, new projects is always very helpful, but it doesn't have to be the whole ball game. Um, and so this is why I think if we manage to have a better supply chain monitoring, um, or if we manage to um, put mechanisms in place that seek to speed up licensing, to cut red tape, um, that seek to, um, and, 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 you know, uh, that seek to bring talent uh, to Europe, um, that we will be, if we would be able to create an international forum and cooperation with those like-minded nations, um, if the, our cooperation with industry is close enough, um, then, you know, probably uh, will be still successful. Um, but of course, uh, the sooner, and I fully agree with you, we have clarity on the precise amount of money available from the joint uh, undertaking. Uh, and, and member states, uh, then it will be much more easy for us to set the priorities of this report. Uh, both political priorities and also very uh, practical policy uh, priorities. Um, and that clarity will help us better predict and measure our progress towards those very important goals uh, that both uh, the, the CHIPS Act and the joint undertaking um, have put forward. And perhaps just one word on those competitors. I would like to see them as uh, constructive uh, competitors or constructive competition. Um, I think uh, we can encourage healthy competition uh, with countries like the US and Taiwan. Uh, we should by any cost avoid the subsidy race. Um, we should make sure uh, we have more international dialogue um, and hopefully we are able to create a global market that would benefit uh, everyone. Um, you know, there's this saying <laughs> um, uh, which goes, a high tide lifts all boats. Um, so that would be my aim um, uh, while working on these uh, files. Eva Meidel is a lawmaker in the European Parliament. Thank you, Eva. Thanks a lot. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Curie. I'm Luca Bertunzi and thank you for listening. Yeah.